Good morning. It's uh, great to be with you this morning. I was just telling somebody on the way in that uh, even though we've been back at church for about a month, I don't know if anyone's been here or not because you're all sitting in different places and I can't find you. I just looked up inside. Oh, I smiled at someone thinking, I haven't seen them yet. And they're probably looking at me like, you've seen me every single week. <laughs> so um, anyways, it's great to be here. I wanted to just say one thing about that, uh, the women's simulcast conference that's coming up. I know uh, my wife, Heather, and our women's ministries, they're excited about being able to offer that. Uh, rather than take, getting in a vehicle, driving to another city, getting hotels and eating at restaurants, it's going to be hosted right here. We'll beam it in live. And you can register for that today in the concourse. You could also do it online if you go to our website. But uh, if you need help with registering, it's all an online registration. There'll be somebody in the concourse with a really pretty table. You know when the women's ministry sets up something because it's pretty and there's flowers and there's pink and things like that. So uh, you won't have any trouble finding it today if you like to register, and I encourage you to do so. It'll be a great time. Um, I do, before we get to the message, want to just celebrate what God is doing here at Radiant. Uh, this past Friday night, we had our family uh, movie night, and I pulled onto the property just a little before it started. I didn't help. I'll just be honest with you. But I pulled on and I saw this flood of people in, in orange shirts who were helping make this event something that was special, not just for the families of Radiant, but for the families of our community. We had a number of families here that we'd never seen in our life who just heard because we got the word out that this was something we wanted to offer to our community. So can we just go ahead and thank all those volunteers? Speaking of volunteers, uh, this past week we uh, began the process of refreshing our kids' hallway. And if you take a peek, if you run to the restroom, not during the sermon, uh, you take a peek through those windows and you can see kind of the beginning of the re refresh. Uh, many of you, even though I have not mentioned Vision 2020 since we went, uh, to, since this whole COVID thing happened, many of you continue to be faithful, uh, continuing to, to give to the 2020 Vision uh, Fund which is uh, what we launched back in November. And so uh, thank you for that generosity. You're going to see the fruit of that even further in the coming weeks as we're going to get new carpet. So let's, uh, super excited about that. Would you, would you pray with me as we, before we get to the, the, the message? Father, we thank you. What a privilege we have to meet together. Um, perhaps uh, we recognize that privilege even greater today after seasons of being apart, what a joy it is to walk into a place where we are known and where we know and where there is a sense of belonging, a, a church home, a community that walks with us. And together we're going to look at your word. Lord, would you illuminate it? Would you, would you speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the other day, Heather and I hopped into our car and spontaneously, without being planned, we were in the middle of a uh, 1990s youth group kid sing-along. Who, who was a youth group kid in the 1990s? Okay, well, listen, if, if you weren't, that's okay. Maybe you didn't grow up in church, but uh, we were singing all like those things that were meaningful to us as 13-year-olds and 16-year-olds, uh, like, I don't know, Jars of Clay, woo, DC Talk, Third Day, the Newsboys, the Australian version. <laughs> and it actually all kicked off with, with DC Talk because I was singing, I was humming as we got into the car, the song I want to be in the light. Because the passage we're going to read today, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So I'm working on the passage. I hop in the car to go to Costco because it's very spiritual at that point. 
uh, walking out of, away from a message, and I'm humming this song, and uh, it just kicks off this. Well, actually, Heather looks it up on Spotify, and the next song just kind of follows that theme, which is essentially, you were a youth group kid in the 90s. <laughs> and I was listening to that song, that particular song, and I'm thinking, these words make sense, which is kind of a funny thought because it took me like 20 years to really grasp this thing that I've, 25 years, whatever, you know, it's taken me a long time to grasp these words that I've been singing for 25 years, or I've known for 25 years, maybe I haven't sung them in a while, but I was just thinking, this thing makes sense, this whole idea of being a light, because when I was singing it with all my teenager passion, when I was, when I was like super, you know, passionate and, and singing it with the top of my lungs, with a well-meaning teenager zeal for Jesus, I'm afraid that I viewed being in the light as something that was dependent upon my performance. I, I, I viewed reflecting the light of Jesus as something that was dependent upon my ability to do it. And the problem with that is my performance, my ability is not that great. It's not always bad, but it, at best, my record is, is spotty. See, I wanted to please God, but most of the time, I felt unpleasing to him. Anyone identify with that, whether you're a youth group kid from the 90s or not? See, I would leave a worship service, or a, especially as a teenager, like a youth camp service or something like that, or a convention, and I would be all energized and excited about serving Jesus. But it didn't last long because I found out really quickly that I wasn't really great at doing the thing that I was all pumped up and excited to do. Actually, I found myself discouraged and ashamed because I let Jesus down. I really felt like, man, following Jesus is just too hard. And there are a lot of people who feel that way and kind of just walk away. By the grace of God, I'm still here. But I find that we continue to, to, to struggle even as adults with this idea when we went to when to please the Lord, but we find that our life isn't really as pleasing as we would like. And so we begin to hide our true self from others because other people seem to be far more spiritual. They follow Jesus better. They don't struggle with sin like I do. If that's you today, let me, let me encourage you that this pastor still finds himself in that spot. But thankfully, because of passages like this, there is hope. There is hope that we don't have to stay there. We don't have to be there as often. And there's a way to find our way out from under this great burden of performance. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. John chapter 8. <clears throat> and as you do, let me remind you that we are going through a series on the book of John. And last week we looked at the first part of John chapter 8. And so we're starting in verse chapter 12. Or verse chapter 12. That's not how the Bible works, Jerome. We're starting in chapter 8, <clears throat> verse 12. Uh, John writes this book. Uh, decades after the church has been in existence, towards the end of his life, towards the end of the first century, his purpose is laid out in John chapter 20, where he says, I want you to believe, and by believing that you would have life. And so he wants to paint a picture of who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow after him. And the part of John that we're in is actually the section of Jesus' ministry when opposition is rising. We've seen in chapters 5 and 7 the crowd's response to him, and then the religious authorities step in, and they question him, and they've, they've rejected him. They've judged him. And now in chapter 8 and 9, you see this deepening of this hatred towards Jesus, a hatred that leads him to the cross. If you have your Bibles, read me, with me John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world, if you follow me, 
you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have light that leads to life. The Pharisees replied, you are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. Jesus told them, the claims are valid even though I make them about myself. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. Where is your Father? they asked. Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my father is. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury, but he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. Later, Jesus said to them again, I'm going away. You will search for me, but will die in your sins. You cannot come where I am going. The people asked, is he planning to commit suicide? What does he mean you can't come where I'm going? Jesus continued, you are from below, I am from above. You belong to this world, I do not. That is why I said that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Who are you, they demand. Jesus replied, the one I have always claimed to be. I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but I won't. For I say only what I have heard from the one who sent me. And he is completely truthful. But they still didn't understand that he was talking about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is, is with me, and he has not deserted me, for I always, I always do what pleases him. Then many who heard him say these things believed in him. So verse 12 kicks this, this whole passage off, and it's really the heart of this passage. I mean, what we're going to see after verse 12 is this debate. We're going to get there in a second. Let me talk about verse 12. Jesus stands up in the midst of everybody and says, I'm the light of the world. Now, I want to remind you of the context of what's taking place. I don't want to repeat all I said last week about textual criticism and the place, the really, really rare exception that John chapter, uh, eight, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11 is. That story about the woman... Um, Go back and listen to last week's message. You kind of completely cover that. But if you look at the very end of chapter 7, and then I look at this part of verse 12 and chapter 8, those things flow really together really well. But depending on how you feel the timing is, I, I, I tend to believe this is still the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Shelters that we saw Jesus already interact with. And we, you remember that a couple weeks ago? We introduced that. They, they would, it was a celebration of God leading them through the wilderness, the Hebrew slaves out of Egypt, they would build, and they do today, build little booths that they would celebrate in and stay in. There was a ceremony of water where Jesus says, I am the living water. And there was a third ceremony that took place during this celebration, this feast of booths. And it was a, a lighting ceremony called the illumination of the temple where they would light these candelabras that's, that were in the court of women, which is part of the temple, 75 feet high, roughly, these, these candles, they would light them and it would illuminate the white walls of the temple. And because the temple was up on the hill, everyone in Jerusalem can see the light and it, it was said to light the whole city. The whole idea was to commemorate that, that when, when God led the Hebrew slaves out of slavery and through the wilderness, that he led them with a, what, pillar of fire at night 
And so at night they would light this candle. So it's in this midst that Jesus stands up, either that or the very next day when the celebration is still hot. And the celebration was hot. It talks about, there's something called the Talmud, which is a, a like, the Jews, the, the, the Jewish faith has like their Old Testament, and that's the Jewish Bible, but then they have the Talmud, which is the interpretation of that, and they kind of flush it out. Well, listen to this quote. He who has not beheld this celebration has never seen joy in his life. Man, there was music, there was dancing. It said that men of piety were dancing. So it was like the dignified men were like, they were, they were partying. And in the midst of this, Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. I am the fulfillment of this celebration. I am the reason I'm, I'm better and brighter than these lights. Now, this was an outrageous claim to the Pharisees. Jesus didn't just celebrate the light that God gave way back when. He's saying, I'm the light that God's given today. He was identifying himself with the God who gave them this feast in the first place. He was identifying with the God who saved Israel in the wilderness, who provided light for Israel to move forward. And notice that he doesn't say, I am the light of Israel. He says, I am the light of the world. This is a reference to Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, where, he, where the prophet Isaiah says that the Messiah is going to come to be light to the Gentiles and bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus is the light of the world. Now we get to the rest of this passage, and I'm going to give you kind of a bird's eye view of verses 13 through 29, or actually through 30. What we have here is a debate between the, about the validity of Jesus' words. They starts off with 13 with the Pharisees saying, you can't, you're saying this about yourself. It doesn't hold any water. That's a reference to the law where you needed two witnesses for something to be valid, and they were appealing to that. But Jesus, throughout his, this whole back and forth debate, pretty much points time and time again to his relationship with the Father. Listen to these things. He is from the Father. He's going back to the Father. He speaks with the authority of the Father. He does nothing on his own. His authority is not of human origin like theirs, but from the Father. His words are valid because of his relationship with the Father. That's the, that's the gist of what's, what follows this declaration of I am the light of the world. And in that, in that back and forth you see kind of this fleshing out of what that light looks like and means. Look at verse 24 closely. That is why I say to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Jesus tells them that they will die in their sins unless they believe in something. And what's that something? In the Greek, the, the language is ego I me, or ego I me. Lego my ego. I mean, no, that's what the Greek is. I only make jokes because I'm covering up the fact that my Greek is terrible. Don't tell my seminary professor that. Can I tell you a story? I was sitting in my first semester of Greek class on 9-11, on and we heard about the planes hit the tower, and then we, the guy was like, oh, that's too bad, and he kept teaching. And from that moment on, I'm like, I hate this class. So just that you want you to know, I didn't tell that to the, the search committee when they hired me as pastor, but uh, my Greek's a little rusty, okay? All right. Ego I me. This, this is what this, it's translated when I read in the New Living Translation, which is more of a dynamic theory. Every translation does a little bit of interpretation because you can't just make another language become English perfectly, right? So the, the, New, Testament, uh, the New Living Translation says that I am who I claim to be. Your translation may say something like, if it's more formal equivalent, we may something like say, I am, I am he. 
Now, the meaning of this phrase varies. It, it shows up a number of times in John, and Jesus uses it. When Jesus uses it, it depends on the context. In this context, the good news is it's somewhat ambiguous. Jesus could actually mean like the New Living Translators are saying that unless you believe that I am the one I claim to be, the Messiah, or perhaps Jesus was actually applying the same title that God used of himself when he's speaking to Moses. And he says to Moses, tell the Hebrew slaves that I sent you, that I am sent you. Either way, the Pharisees aren't digging it. Actually, Jesus does use it in that, that latter sense. Later in this chapter, in verse 58, in the moment he does that, they pick up rocks and they're ready to stone him because he's identifying with God. Take a really quick, if you have your Bibles, do you see there, your, your Bible probably has a capitalized A-M in there? That's why. So, anyways, they, they give us, they, they kind of, they give us both options there, really. But I want you to, the, the point of this whole thing is that unless you believe, like this is a picture of grace. The people who want to trap Jesus, the people who have escalating hatred to Jesus, those who are opposed to his words, those who are challenging everything he says, he says, you're going to die in your sins unless. Even to those people, grace is extended. Unless you believe, thank God for grace. The other place where you see this ego, I, me, is in verse 28, and we're going to take a look at that real quick, kind of zoom in on that. When you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. This time they just go with I am he in the new living. We get caught up with that I am stuff, but we miss the context of the rest of the verse. He's saying, when you have lifted up, you don't know who I am, you don't know my Father, you don't know and understand, but when you lift me up, you're going to understand now. Jesus references being lifted up two other times in the book of John, and he never says who's lifting up. But every time he talks about being lifted up, he's not talking about being exalted, being praised. He's talking about the cross. And that's why the New Living Translation actually puts in on the cross. Because your, your translation might, might not. He's talking about his death. He's saying, you don't know who I am, but when you crucify me, when you lift me up, you're going to know who I am. Not because they're going to become believers in that moment where they're standing around the cross going, yes, yeah, you know. He's saying, you're going to help me fulfill the destiny that I have to be the saving, redeeming light of the world. Unwittingly, you are playing a role in the salvation of the world. Now, this idea of light, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, is something that we see throughout John a number of times. We see it from the very beginning of the book of John in the prologue. And we've seen it again as we've come to this point, and we will see it again throughout the book of John. But let me go back to the very beginning, week one, to the prologue, and read John chapter 1, verse 4 through 9. The word, <laughs> the word gave life to everyone that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is the, the, the intro to this book, and Jesus stands up eight chapters later and says, I am the light of the world. But then in John chapter 3, after we read those famous verses that we all know, 
God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Look at verse, that's verse 16. Verse 19. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who hate evil, or all who do evil, hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear of their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. So when you look at this and you look at what Jesus just said in, verse, in, in chapter 8, there's a connection between light and life. We see that darkness can't extinguish light. We see that, that the light gives life, that the light is hated. That's something you must come to, that the light exposes and that it's connected with truth. Man, the big idea from this, this passage, when we talked earlier on in the beginning of this message about the burden of being light and shining light, this is the one I want you to walk away with. Jesus is the light that reveals the Father, exposes the truth, leads to life, and reflects off those who believe. He does the work. For those who are tired and weary of religious obligation and burden, there is, like we talk about joy, 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 joy down in my heart. But we, we don't walk and live in joy because we feel like we're disappointing to God. Like he loves me, but he's like, yeah, I love you, but disappointed in you. Because we think we have to do the work. But Jesus is the light that reveals the Father, exposes the truth, leads to life, and reflects off those who believe. He does the work. I kind of envisioned this moment when I was preparing that, and I wrote that, those four little words, that you would be dancing in the aisles, saying hallelujah. No, I'm just kidding. That's the good news for me. If you, if you, if you leave with nothing else, don't even leave with that whole quote. Just leave with, he does the work. He does the work. Let's, let's talk about those things, though. He reveals the Father, verse 19. Since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my Father is. If you knew me, you would know the Father. Jesus has said throughout the book of John that he and his Father are in relationship. He will continue to say that. You see Jesus, you see the Father. He says it over and over again. He exposes truth. Now, John chapter 2, you may remember John chapter 2. The crowd was all about him because he just performs miracles, and he's like, I don't, I, I don't trust them. And it, John says that he didn't trust them because he knows what's in the heart of men. He knows human nature. He knows what's in each person's heart. Truth is, apart from Jesus, we don't really even understand ourselves. The prophet Isaiah says that our heart is wicked and deceptive. Prophet Jeremiah. But then in verse 12, we see of this chapter, of what we just read, Jesus says that if you do not follow him, that you do not walk in darkness. He exposes truth. We think we know who we are, but we're wrong. Just as Jesus exposes darkness in our life, not to shame us, but to call us to come into light. We, we, we walk in darkness without him. And he exposes the darkness within us, not to make you feel like a loser, but to show you his, your great need for him. Jesus is the light that leads to life. Remember the, the pillar of fire, the cloud that led him by day, that led the, the, the Hebrew slaves through the wilderness? Just like that, Jesus leads the way forward. If we follow him, we will not be in darkness. 
just as those Hebrew slaves were not in darkness as they followed that light, God's visible presence amongst his people. Unless you believe, verse 24, what we read today. We follow him when we believe. Now, here's the, here's the tricky part. Whenever I hear the words follow him, I think I have to mimic him and follow his example. And we do follow his example, but not in our own strength and our own power. Not my ability to perform, not my discipline, not my hard work for Jesus, but his life through me. He does the work. Darkness is exposed. Remember that? We are spiritually dead. And spiritually dead people don't need spiritual pep talks. Spiritually dead people don't need pep talks to be better people or moral people. We need resurrection power. Something to impart new life to us. Dead people don't respond to pep talks. Jesus does the work. Jesus is the light that reveals the Father, exposes truth, leads to life, and then reflects off those who believe. This is my favorite one, because this is the one where I felt the burden probably the greatest, and still do. Just as the light from the Feast of the Tabernacles on those, on those candles that's, that stood 75 feet high in the air, just as those bounced off the walls of the temple, Jesus does the work when it comes to reflecting. I always thought that reflecting was about being the right material. I need to be a reflector, right? No, all you have to do is be in the light. You see this table, not because it's reflective material, but it's because it's in the light. That's how, that's how light works. It's bouncing off this table into your eyeballs. And there's a bunch of other science there. I never claim to be an ophthalmologist. Just, I know enough of like second grade science seventh grade science, to know that much. Jesus is the light that reveals the Father, exposes truth, leads to life, and reflects off those who believe. So much so that Jesus looks at his followers and says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hilltop. Not in your own ability, not in your own strength, not in your own performance to be my representatives, but standing in the light. So what is it that we should do in response to that? If he does the work, what do we do? For those who are tired and weary of religious burden and obligation, there's good news. Listen to this. When it comes to being light, let Jesus do the work. Some of us need to redefine what we think of when we think of spiritual maturity. I don't know about you, but I always thought spiritual maturity was the people who knew the Bible better than me and the people who don't struggle with sin like me. Spiritual maturity is those who trust themselves in God's hands, that what God says is true of them is true, that they believe that, regardless of their Bible knowledge, regardless of their ability to manage their own sin, which is not the point. Don't, it's not about sin management. It's about trusting what God says is true. That we are pleasing, that we are in right standing with him, that we are accepted and that we are a new creation. That is why we read the Bible and pray. Not so that we could earn our way to spiritual maturity. We read the Bible and pray so we can be in a relationship with him. And as we are in a relationship with him and we trust him with who we are and what he says we are, we find ourselves spiritually mature. 
when we see the beauty of Jesus in his fullness, then we begin to change. It's not a fix yourself type of thing. It's turn your eyes to Jesus and he does the work. Secondly, when it comes to reflecting the light, let Jesus do the work. I've already told you about the table. Reflecting light is not about performance, it's about position. It's not something that's active, it's something that's passive. If I stay in the light, if I stay in fellowship with him, if I believe, but sometimes we find ourselves drifting out of the light, re-engage and be in the light and the world will see. The world will see Jesus through you. If you're not a Christian today, we are so honored that you would even be here. This is a gathering of Christians who come to worship God and to hear from him. But I hope throughout this message, you've heard what we believe. It's the message of the gospel. And even though we believe it, we find ourselves sometimes implementing it wrong. Maybe you too walked in here. Maybe at one time you believed, but it was such a crushing burden. There wasn't joy. It was just all obligation. The good news is there is joy because he does the work. We are born into sin, separated from him. Nothing we can do can make us right with God. So God so loved the world that he gave his son to live a life that we could not live and die a death that our sins deserve. That's the message of the gospel. Someone had to do something and we couldn't, but he did. And that message is an invitation an invitation that you either say, I believe or I don't believe. And the moment you believe, you might not even be, it might, you might not have even put the sentence together. It might not have even come out of your mouth. I, I believe you cross the line of faith. And we do things in church like come forward and pray with someone to receive Christ. You don't usually come forward until you already did the work in your heart. There's an invitation today. And if you would like to pray with someone at the end of the service, we'll have elders who come forward and would love to pray with you and talk with you about this walk of faith. And that's what it is. It's a walk of faith. I'd like to end with a quote from a, a pastor, which is a funny way of me saying, I stole this from somebody. It sounds more acceptable. He says this, the godliest people are happy because they know Jesus loves them and that they are a massive work in progress. We're a massive work in progress. And it's because we are a work in progress that there is great joy. And if you walked in today and you feel this burden because you are a massive work in prog progress and you don't feel the joy, you need to reframe that sucker and say, man, thank God for grace. Thank God for what he has done. The happiest people, the godliest people are happy because they know that Jesus loves them and they are a massive work in progress. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you that the good news really is good news when we recognize 
that it's not about our performance. It's not about what we have done. Even though we should take inventory, we should look, but our eyes really should be turned to you and what you have done. God, I pray for the, the veteran Christian who's been in this for a long time. And joy seems fleeting and joy seems like something that was from a long time ago. God, may we find joy in the very fact that we are still a work in progress. May you renew something within us, the light of the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.